Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our all-church study, Anchored. This anchor of hope is the certainty and the promise that God is who He says He is, and that God will do what He said He will do. What God does for us is grounded in who God is, and knowing who God is provides an anchor in life, giving us a secure foundation on which to build our lives. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here. We're in our fifth week of this series called Anchored. We're looking at the attributes of God. And uh, today, I just want to share with you, uh, this week I was uh, doing some hiking with some friends on the Appalachian Trail, and it got me thinking a little bit about um, radioactive material. Now, the reason you may ask me that is because we were hiking near Pauline, New York, and uh, we hiked around the lake called Nuclear Lake, and we wondered. It seems that in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, there was a private industry there that used enriched uranium and plutonium to make weapons-grade nuclear war uh, weapons. And so uh, we were told you couldn't camp there, and we didn't drink any of the water there, and we definitely didn't go swimming. Uh, But as I shared this with you, it's because as... I've thought about the series today, and we're going to be talking about the fact that that God is righteous. I I recall a little bit of Connecticut history. Now, I didn't grow up in Connecticut, but some of you who have lived here for a while or in New England or or lived as long as I have, I was born in 1962, you may remember that in the 1990s there was a problem at the Millstone Nuclear Power Station. So... uh, There was a man named George Gladys, and uh, if you're familiar with that name, it's because he was a senior engineer at Millstone, and that's in Watertown, Connecticut, and uh, he discovered that there was something dreadfully wrong going on in the way that Millstone was being managed, particularly with the radioactive material that was produced as a result of what they were doing there. The pools where they were storing the rods uh, were not being used the way they should be. They were overcrowding them with hot fuel that was supposed to be able to cool down for 250 days, but they wouldn't allow it to do that because every day that Millstone was offline, it cost them a half a million dollars to buy electricity for their customers somewhere else. So you understand the, the issue that was going on there. Um, supervisors at that time, it turns out, were just sort of winking at the routine violations to save that downtime. And they were recognizing that they really didn't have to fear too much oversight from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. But George became aware of all that. And uh, he went to one of his colleagues and says, shouldn't we tell the Nuclear Regulatory Commission? And this is what his colleague replied. He says, if you do that, you're dog meat. Well, George was very concerned. And George was a follower of Jesus. And because of his convictions that were uh, rooted in Scripture, he decided that the right thing to do was to do the right thing, to protect people from a nuclear disaster. So uh, he warned his plant managers of the potential health risk and the potential disaster. He urged them to stop their hazardous and unlawful practices, but they refused. And some of his supervisors, he writes, were churchgoers. And, and so he was baffled when he went to them because they would say, this is business. This isn't church. 
They, in turn, were baffled by George, who wouldn't let up. This, is, this was not splitting hairs, is what George said. These were not technical issues. These were moral issues. These were potentially life and death issues. And so he continued to warn his supervisors of what would happen, that there would be an eventual shutdown, that there would be decommissioning of the plants. They would lead to criminal investigations, but they wouldn't change anything. After two years, when nothing has changed except this, his workplace became a toxic environment for him. When he went to lunch in the company lunchroom, his coworkers would get up from the table and leave. Sounds like junior high, doesn't it? Uh, the room would fall silent when he would come in. People spread rumors about him that he was an alcoholic. His performance reviews suffered. An all's well attitude, though, is what the company continued to do to deny everything that George was saying. Now, as a follower of Jesus, George would spend a lot of time reading the Bible and praying. And during this season of life, that really just turned up. And it was during one of those prayer times where George felt like God spoke to him. And it was a question. God said to George, will you die for me? Now, though he feared for his safety at times, he realized that there were many ways of dying he could give up his livelihood. He could forsake his reputation. His family was at stake. And he had to ask himself, you know, how many people in their early 40s can lose a high-paying job and restart a brand-new career? But after months of prayer and study, he concluded that no matter what happened, no matter how much he was badgered, God would not allow him to be devastated. So in 1994, he contacted the Nuclear Regulatory Commission now, he knew that the NRC had known about Millstone's dangerous practices for 10 years, and they hadn't really taken any action, but he thought this time would be different. But nothing was different. In fact, uh, they didn't even offer him any refuge from his company. So he petitioned the NRC in 1995 to suspend Millstone's license, and that caused the whole issue to go public. Some people called him a fool. Others said he was a troublemaker. He was subtly intimidated and harassed for months. And coworkers often told him to his face, shut up and keep your job. But in 1996, after four years of pressure, George did take a severance agreement to leave Millstone and the NRC came in. They never suspended Millstone, but they shut down the reactors at a repair cost of over $1 billion. Now, because George did the right thing, the righteous thing, a criminal investigation was launched. Millstone was found guilty of 23 federal felonies, and they paid a $10 million fine. But most importantly, because of his faith, George did the right thing. And the inevitable nuclear catastrophe was avoided. Where did George learn to be righteous like that? From God and from his word. So today we're going to look at this attribute that God is the righteous one. Now, when we say that God's the righteous one, what do we mean? We mean that God's character and his nature will always lead him to do what is right. Righteousness is holiness in action. You can also refer to God's righteousness as God's justice. So 
Just do a word search of the word righteous in the Bible this week. I want to encourage you to do that. Just take your Bible out. If it's got a concordance in it or if you've got an online Bible, do that and check it out. You will see that uh, the Bible declares that God is righteous. The prophets say it. The apostles say it. And others say that God is righteous. In fact, they declare that God is so righteous that what he says and what he does is declared righteous. But maybe one of the most exciting things that I discovered this week as I was preparing for this was the righteousness, about the righteousness of God is what God says about himself and our relationship to the righteous one. The prophet Jeremiah says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So I want you to grasp the significance of what God is saying. God is telling us what he delights in, and what God delights in are the things that God is. God is kind, God is just, God is righteous. But, but here's what God says that, that really should capture our attention. God says that we have the understanding to know this righteous God. That, that should really blow our mind because God is the righteous one and we're not. But he's saying we can understand how to know him. Now, I sort of jumped into my next point, so let's talk about this. Humanity's righteousness struggle. We, we struggle to do the right thing all the time. And our struggle with righteousness is summed up in the words by the Apostle Paul. This is what he wrote in Romans chapter 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Wow, that is descriptive, isn't it? He's laying it out really clearly that we are far from being righteous. And at our worst, we don't seek God. We become worthless with regards to righteousness. There's no good in us. What comes from our mouth is not life-giving. It's toxic and deadly. You know, we could... All We could call all of these things and the rest of what Paul is talking about this as our deeds of unrighteousness. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, he actually talks about humanity's unrighteousness in this way. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath, God's anger, 
It, it happens when we sin, when we are unrighteous, when we suppress the truth about God. If you read more in Romans chapter 1, you'll see that Paul says, what is known about God is plain for everyone to see. Now, think that through. If you think he's just talking about people who don't believe in God, he's not. He's talking about all people. He's talking about people who believe and people who don't believe. He's talking about all of us because we all can see the evidence of God in this world. It's plain to us. And we should know as followers of Christ to do what honors God and to thank God for all he is and all that he's done. But this is the reality of of how our sinful, unrighteous deeds affect us and our relationship with God because we don't honor God always. We don't always thank God. And our sin separates us from God. And I'll come back to that a little bit later, but there's another aspect of our unrighteousness that we have to deal with, and it's this. It's our attitudes of self-righteousness because in itself, self-righteousness is unrighteousness. It's interesting. In the gospel that bears Luke's name, he describes a story about that Jesus told, and he sets up the story this way, saying, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Read that as self-righteousness. And they scorned everyone else. And then Luke goes on to share what Jesus said. Jesus tells a story. He said, uh, there was a Pharisee. Uh, There were two men. There was a Pharisee, and the other one was a despised tax collector. Now, there was no uh, fooling anybody. Everybody disliked tax collectors in Jesus' day, you know, much the way we uh, commiserate about tax collectors today. So, but he said, the Pharisee came to the temple, and he stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But then Jesus goes on and he says what the tax collector prayed. The tax collector, he said, stood at a distance and he dared not lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And Jesus concludes the story saying, I tell you, this sinner, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is calling all of us out when we have self-righteous attitudes. The message is clear that our attitudes about ourselves can also be sinful, particularly if we think we're better than somebody else, particularly if we think we're perfect, particularly if we think we've got it all together and we sit in that smug, self-righteous attitude. But as we've already seen from Romans chapter 3, Paul says, there is no one righteous not even one. And we've already seen God's wrath is aroused at us because of our unrighteousness, because it suppresses the truth about him and about his word and about his revelation. 
So to act self-righteous or even more to declare that we're righteous is untruthful. So we're even sinning in that. So we need to conclude that our human struggle with righteousness reveals that we are unrighteous and that we need someone to save us from ourselves. Thankfully, we read in Scripture that Jesus does something amazing. He offers his righteousness to all of us. Listen to what we see uh, in Scripture from 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Just take that in. Because of Jesus, and you accept his forgiveness for your sin, for your unrighteousness, he will forgive you and give you the righteousness of God. In the letter to the church in Philippi, Paul explains this actually in some very personal terms. He talks about his own self-righteousness and his pride because he took a lot of pride in, being a pure, in having a pure-blooded heritage as a Jewish man. He took a lot of pride in what he saw was his perfect obedience to the Jewish law. He took a lot of pride in the fact that he was a Pharisee. He would have said he was the Pharisees of, a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He took a lot of pride in those days before he became a Christian in his persecution of the followers of Jesus and of the church. But when he came to faith in Christ, he realized that he wasn't righteous at all. And this is what he said as he came to terms with his own unrighteousness. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, those things he had pride in. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. And think that through. Paul says that all the things that he felt made him righteous were worthless garbage. He knew if he wanted Christ and his righteousness, he would have to let go of all of those things that he once thought made him righteous. Things like his reputation, things like his track record of doing good deeds, things like his titles, his worldly trappings. It was like he had taken them all and thrown them in the dumpster because they were worthless compared to knowing Christ. So this leads directly to the question, what are we to do knowing all this? We have a God who loves us, who wants to be in a relationship with us. We know the reality that when it comes to every single human being, there is no one righteous, not even one. So what is our response going to be? 
As we just read, God offers us Christ's righteousness, and that righteousness can come, become ours in only one way, through faith in Jesus. So we must acknowledge what the Apostle John writes about. He says this, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if we acknowledge that Jesus is the sacrifice to atone or to pay for our sins, then we need to accept his payment on our behalf for our sins. We need to respond like the tax collector who went to the temple and didn't brag about any good deeds. In fact, he didn't talk about anything that he had done. He just prayed, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. You know, confession is extremely important for followers of Jesus because our sin separates us from God. Our sin puts an impediment in our relationship with God and we deceive ourselves if we think our sinfulness doesn't do that. Now, you might say, well, yeah, I know I don't always do the right thing, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not a murderer but all sin is equal in God's eyes. And so that sin creates an impediment. But there's a promise in Scripture that tells us about the importance of confession. And again, it's from the Apostle John, and he writes this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. He just asks us to confess our sins, and then he purifies us from our unrighteousness. Now, don't miss that. He wants to purify all of us. Now, I've quoted that verse hundreds of times, but we need, I need to take it seriously because I don't believe that we spend enough time separating ourselves from how we see ourselves and acknowledging our unrighteousness and our sinfulness and dealing with it and coming to terms with it and taking it to God and asking him to forgive us of our sins. The Apostle James wrote in his book these words, and it helps us see why confession is so important. My dear brothers and sisters, he writes, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become anger, angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Jesus Christ is that word. And the Bible is his word to us. And that we need to deal with our own unrighteousness. James exhorts us to get rid of the stuff that produces unrighteousness. And we only get rid of them by taking time to confess them and asking God to forgive us. And to help, ask him to help us turn around our lives. And we have salvation through our faith in Jesus. But we need to ask for that forgiveness. So this morning... Before I conclude this message, I thought it would be important that we actually do a 
prayer of confession, a unison prayer of confession. It's going to be on the screen behind me. So join me as we pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, words, and deeds by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. You know, confessing our sins and our unrighteousness should be a regular practice for followers of Jesus. It's something that keeps us in a right relationship with God. But this is just the place to say that that's how we really should start our day in prayer, and part of that prayer should be confession. You, you know, I, I started this story, uh, the sermon's talking about the story of George Galatis and what he did at Millstone, Millstone Nuclear Power Plant. You know, as a follower of Jesus, he did the right thing. And he did the hard thing. And it cost him dearly. But he knew that doing the right thing was what God wanted him to do. So we have a righteous God who has given us Christ's righteousness so that we will live for him and like him. That means we'll seek to do the right thing. And when we don't do the right thing, we'll confess it and ask for forgiveness. So I want to encourage you to make confession a daily practice in your life. But I also want to close with a question about doing the right thing. What's the one right thing that you know you need to do now in your personal life, in your home life, in your work life, in whatever area of your life? What is it? And I want you to pray and talk to God about it. So we're going to move into a time of prayer. And I will say this, you know, some of you may be struggling with the fact that you've not really accepted Christ's righteousness because you've never told him you believe in him. So I'm gonna start off with a prayer for you to actually tell him that you believe in him and wanna follow him and you accept his righteousness. But then I'm gonna move into a time of silent prayer for everyone. To talk to God about that one right thing that you haven't been doing that you know you need to do to follow our righteous God. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, as we come to you today, we come recognizing that you love us and that you care for us, that you are the righteous one and you want to offer the righteousness of Christ to each one of us. So for that person here today with us in this room or online who's never told Jesus you believe in him and want to receive his righteousness, this prayer is for you to pray. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. Go ahead and pray that to him silently. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And so now I accept 
Christ's righteousness into my life. And I want to live for him each and every day. And as we conclude that part of the prayer, for the next 30 seconds, I just want to encourage each person to go to God and talk to him about that one right thing that you haven't been doing that you know you need to do. So let's just pray in silence to God. God, hear these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.